thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our executive pastor, Pastor Kevin Kelts. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you guys for being here today. We just want to say hi and just greet you this morning here at the Exchange Church. Please get your phones out and check in on the Exchange Facebook page this morning. We are going to be every 10 check-ins are going to help to plant a tree. We're uh, partnering with Plant with a Purpose, so you can hashtag it, Plant a Tree, and uh, that's just pretty awesome to be able to do that. And as we are in the service, you know, if God speaks to you uh, through the Word, go ahead and tweet that message out. Get that message out. Get on Facebook and, and put a message out. You never know who you're going to be able to encourage just by declaring the word of the Lord that, that God speaks to you this morning. Um, I'd like to say hi to all of our people that are watching on uh, Facebook this morning. It's awesome, and, and I'm excited about this morning. You know, me, me and Pastor Jerry, we always say that. We, we're excited about the word that God has, has laid upon our hearts, and, and it's the truth. Uh, you know, Pastor Jerry and I were just talking this last week, and it's like, man, you know, we live just not too far from each other. It's not even a mile. And, and there'll be times when I'll be at his house, we'll be talking about just the word and about, you know, the, the new covenant and about God. And then he'll come over to my house and be doing the same thing. And then we'll be on the phone for an I'll look down at my phone and they're like, man, we've been talking for an hour and a half and we live so close to you. But we're just constantly talking about this because we're excited about this. This is we live this. This is something that that God has birthed inside of us. And, and we want to make sure that you have a firm foundation. You know, uh, it's part of our, our our duty as fivefold ministry to be able to equip you. Amen. So I hope you came to be equipped this morning. Can y'all let me do my job to equip you? Amen. So that's what we're gonna do. Uh, we just came out of a of a series that was was so so awesome, and really gonna go into a new series and dovetail a little bit about what you've learned. Uh, you know, the last one was Bible 101 for adults, and a lot we talked about how many of us know stories of the Bible, but we don't know the story of the Bible. And it's so important to be able to know the story of the Bible because if you don't know the story of the Bible, then a lot of things can at certain times be taken out of context and you don't understand why this looks like this and then over here it looks different over there. And so we talked about that and we talked about how each different person had, had written different parts of the Bible. You understand that when the writers were writing the Bible, they didn't understand that there would be a Bible. Y'all understand that, right? We, we learned that. Like uh, when, when uh, we talked about Luke, when he was writing the gospel, what we now know as the gospel of Luke, he didn't sit down and go, hmm, 
I think I'll write the Bible today. That's not, he was, he was literally, you know, doing something to be able to write down because somebody asked him, what do you know about this Christ? What do you know about this Messiah? Could you document and tell me everything about this man that had signs and wonders that declared that he was who he was? And so he did that. And so today we're going to start a new series called Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. And for the next few weeks, we are going to journey through the book of John. And the book of John is wonderful. It's an awesome gospel. But we're going to kind of be able to step in to show you the story of the book of John. So you can understand where this came from, uh, how John literally sets down and he starts to document his personal journey with Jesus. This is what he saw. This is what he heard. He was, he was there. And so we're going to look in uh, of, of what he says. And, and there's something when you start to study this, this gospel of John, it's in our New Testament. When you start to look at this, there's a tension that from the get-go, all the way throughout his gospel that you see that he's starting to address. And it's a tension between uh, these, these, it's two words that are misused constantly and taken out of context constantly and have new meanings constantly in the church world, in the religious world, but they mean something different outside of these church walls. And here are the two words. is this word, faith and believe. Everybody say faith. Come on, say believe. Come on, say faith. Say believe. Now, we know what those words mean. If I was to get, just give you the microphone right now and say, give me your definition of the word faith, you would have a, a, a definition for me, what that means to you. If I said, give me a definition of the word believe, you know what that means to you. Here, here's the thing. If I started to get specific, I, I, would, I would go as far as to say that those words mean something different you, to you out in the real world, out in the marketplace than they do to you and what you were taught in the church. And the Gospel of John really addresses that, that problem. See, in the real world where we all work and we all play and we all have friends, we believe based upon evidence. So you believe something. It's based upon evidence. In other words, you make a decision about what you believe based upon a certain type of evidence, something that you have seen. It's something that you have read. And we also decide what we believe out in the real world based upon our confidence in the person that delivered that information to you. So two really key words you need to pick up on is our belief is based upon evidence and it's based upon confidence in a person delivering the information. When you were a kid and you went to school, my, my wife, she's a, an elementary teacher. And so when you went to school and you sat down with Mrs. Keltz and Mrs. Keltz told you that eight times eight equals 84, you know what? You believed what, you, what she said, and you said, okay, that's a math fact. I understand that. I guarantee none of you went home and got eight G.I. Joes and put them in eight rows and then count them out and go, wow, that's crazy. 
you know what, she's right, and now I believe what she said. No, you just, based upon the confidence that you had in your teacher, you just said, if she says 8 times 8 equals 64, then guess what? That's what it equals. And many times, this is what has happened in, uh-oh, I said something wrong. Uh-oh. What did I say wrong? 84? Okay. Okay, then I fixed it. All right, good. And it's, you believe that because of the confidence that you have in your teacher. So there's a couple ways that we come to believe things. It's evidence. It's what we read. It's what we hear. And then it's confidence in the person that was telling you whatever the information was. So Now, from time to time, what happens, just like what just happens, a great illustration, you get conflicting information. <laughs> right? And so you've always believed that 8 times 8 was 64, and then Pastor Kevin said it was 84. You're like, I trust him, right? I, I, I have a lot of confidence in this person, and, and this has happened to me recently. I, let me show you this pic, and I'll just throw this up here. This is an emo emoji that I use all the time, and I use it for praying hands, okay? I use it for praying hands. I send a text out to somebody, tell them I'm praying for them. And then I got a text just a couple weeks ago that says, Pastor Kevin, why are you high-fiving everybody that says their dad died? When somebody passes away, you're like, oh, yeah, hey, high-five. So-and-so has cancer. I'm like, high-five. They said, that's not, that's not praying hands. They said, that is high-five hands. And I was like, I was mortified. I mean, I'm, Pastor Kevin out here high-fiving everybody got, you know, says their parents died. It's, it's horrible when you think about it. But, but to me, I, I thought that that's what it meant. And then I got conflicting information, and all of a sudden I started to question what I believed, right? So you know what I did? I Googled it. I Googled it. Google says it's neither one of those. Google says that it is actually called helping hands, and the helping hands, it's when two hands come together kind of like namaste in the Japanese culture, and it means thank you. So you just choose what you want to believe. I'm going to keep putting it as prayer hands. If you get it from me, as Pastor Kevin saying, he's praying for you because, you know, somebody passed away and he's praying for you. I'm not high-fiving that that happened, okay? But, but here, that's what starts to happen. We, we get to a point where we have a faith or we have a belief in something and something is challenged. We all know what the word faith means, what the word beliefs. And what we're going to discover in this series is when it comes to the word faith or it comes to the word believe, those words do not take on a special meaning when they're dropped into the context of Christianity. Religious faith and belief are often divorced from reason and confused with hope. This is what happens in the church all the time. Please look at, look at that right there. Religious faith and belief, we take these words now and we make them, make them mean something different in the church and we divorce them from reason and then we confuse them with hope. Hope is good, but hope is not faith. Hope is good, but hope is not believing. Okay? Hope is, well, I, I hope that he'll show up. Well, did he show up last time? No. 
but I, show, I hope he'll show up this time. And it's good to have hope, but it's different. And unfortunately, in Christianity, some of us grew up hearing the word faith, and it was explained to us this way. You need to believe in Jesus. And we said, why? And they said, well, you just have to believe. If you grew up in the South, it might have sounded like this. Well, you just have to believe, brother. Right? You just need to have more faith, sister. Well, no, 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 no. I want you to explain to me these things. No, no, no. We don't ask questions. We just believe. We just believe. You just need to trust me and have confidence in me, and you just need to just believe these things because either you believe something or you don't. I mean, under, you have to understand that there are times when a person is figuring different things out, but when it comes to Christianity, for some reason, we've been taught we don't need to explain anything to anybody. We just tell somebody something, and we just say, Jesus is the Son of God, and you just need to believe that, brother. You just need to have faith in that, sister. And I can tell you that reading the Gospel of John and studying this awesome Gospel book, if you were to say that to John, he would say, where did you come up with that idea? Who told the church to be able to start doing that? If you were to ask Peter, Peter would say, really? Really, that's what it's come down to is just telling somebody to just believe? If you were to ask Jesus when you study Jesus' teaching, Jesus would say, no way. That's not how this was ever intended to be because you don't find this in the teachings of Jesus. You don't find this in the New Testament. And again, I don't know exactly where this type of thinking came from, but as we journey with Jesus through this awesome book called the Gospel of John, we're going to discover there's a totally different paradigm. And I came to help some people out this morning. Is that good? Let me read you an amazing quote by the author Frank Turk because he brings out perfectly the problem that we've had with just telling people in the church to just have faith, just believe. This is what he said, and I'll put it up on the screen for you. He says, the reason so many people are easily talked out of Christianity is because they were never talked into it in the first place. And this is what, this is what happens. We're raised in church, or we had a grandma that she was very religious, and she just told you to just believe, or some pastor told you to just believe, and they never explained any of it to you, and then this young person grows up and goes to college, and they get in front of a professor that's very smart and can explain to you why they believe what they believe, and all of a sudden you have two contradicting messages going on and because all you were taught was just believe over here and this person has paper after paper evidence after evidence now guess what's going to have to start to happen you are going to start be talked out of it because you were never talked into it this happens so often all the time you grew up somebody talked you out of it you read it you read a book and that book talked you out of it you you heard somebody in a debate and that debate talked you out of it and John who wrote the gospel of John would tell you today I did not follow Jesus just because of faith I didn't just show up and Jesus said hey just trust me brother I'm the son of God just trust me he would say, that's not how it happened for me. John did not choose to follow Jesus because of just faith. And he would caution all of us as well. We shouldn't do the same thing. And if the only reason that you're following Jesus is because somebody got up in front of you and said, trust me, you just got to believe. You just got to have faith. 
I got some great, great news for you this morning. It's so much more than that. We're here this morning as a group of believers who celebrate our faith, and it's not just because of just faith. It's so much more. For too long, we have, as Christians, have had other Christians have somebody come along and talk them out of something that they were never talked into. And as we're about to discover, there is an enormous difference. There is a big, huge difference between by faith and because of faith. See, the Apostle John, he would later be known in history as the Apostle John. The Apostle John left his father's fishing business to follow Jesus because of what he saw, not just because of faith. In fact, he outlived most of his friends. By the time that, that, that he dictates the gospel, what we now know as the gospel of John, he's later on in his age. We, we doubt that he wrote it. He, he dictated it to a scribe because of the type of Greek that it's in. He dictated this document that would be called the gospel of John. And by this time, all of the apostles are dead. The apostle Paul has passed away. The apostle Peter is dead. Probably all of his friends, they weren't around. He was the last man standing of the apostles. And apparently somebody comes to him and says, Hey, we, we've got Luke's account and we've got Peter's account. And, and, and we need to you. We've heard you talk about how you walked with Christ, how you talked with the Messiah, how you saw signs, wonders, and miracles. We, we need you to write your account. And, and he finally decided to. He said, You know what? That's a great idea. I need to be able to dictate and get this document out there. And when he did it, there wasn't a Bible. And when he did it, he wasn't thinking about writing the Bible. He was just trying to give his account of what he saw and what he heard. And so he did it. And it came to us as the tradition called the Gospel of John or the Good News according to John. But here's the cool thing about the Gospel of John. John was not content. And please hear what I'm about to say. This is so important. John was not content to simply tell us what happened. He tells us why it happened and why he wants us to know what happened. If you ever remember being back in high school or college and you had to write a term paper, that the teacher would tell you that you need to have a thesis statement in your term paper. What is the thesis statement? It's your main point. It's the point that the whole paper is about. And it's awesome to me that John included his thesis statement in his great work that we call the Gospel of John. And, and what happens is he puts it at the end of his gospel just to say, hey, if you missed it, if you're wondering why I dictated this document, why I put it out there, here is why I did it. And we find this in John chapter 20, verse 30. And this is what John says. He says, Jesus performed many other signs. Everybody say signs. That's a very important word. If you can't highlight that, I would highlight that. We're going to come back to that to just a little bit. But he's, John says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. In other words, he's saying he wants you to know that we were there. We saw these signs. We saw these things happen, which are not recorded so he 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 performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book when he says this book what's he referring to not the bible because the bible didn't exist 
He's referring to this book that he's writing, this gospel, his account. And he's saying, there are tons of things that happened that Jesus said that I didn't include in this. And there's other miracles that Jesus did that I didn't include in this. But the ones that I included in this document are there for a reason. They are there for a purpose. He continues in verse 31, and he says, but these, speaking of what? These signs. These signs are written that. This is a, a, a Greek term that is called a henna. It's a connector. A henna clause means its purpose. It has a result of. So he's saying the purpose for me ha, be, have written this is not simply so that you will know what Jesus did, but he says this, but these are written. I did all of this. I, I dictated all of this so that you could have this so that you may believe. Everybody say believe. In other words, he's saying, I want you to believe, but I'm not content saying, well, just believe, brother, because I told you to believe. He says, no, no, no. There's so much more to just having faith than that. He says, no, no, no. I want you to journey with me. I want you to walk with me in my experience, my, what I saw with my eyes, what I heard with my ears. I experienced these things with Jesus, and my hope is that you will experience through my experience, and you will experience Jesus, the Messiah, in such a way that you will be convinced like I was that he is who he claimed to be. Isn't that so much more than just saying, just believe? Right? Just, just have more faith, sister. Don't doubt. No, 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 no. He goes so far, much further than that. You see, he's not simply telling us what to believe. He's building a case as to why we need to believe. Because John did not embrace this crazy idea of faith or belief that just kind of hangs out there by itself in the religious world, and we don't have to back any of it up. No, 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 no. Not that at all. John wanted us to believe, but believe what, John? He's very specific, and he says this. Here's what he wants you to believe. This is in his thesis statement. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And it, go, it goes beyond that because there's a result to place in your faith that Jesus is the Messiah. There was a result in understanding that Jesus is who he said that he was, the Son of God. And he says this, that by believing that you place your faith in him, this is what will happen. You will have life in his name. In other words, this is the sequence. He's sharing with us the sequence that brought him to the point of, of believing. Of believing what? Of believing that Jesus was who he claimed to be. The sequence that brought him to faith is the very same sequence that we're going to lay out with you today so you can believe that Jesus is who he says it was just like John believed in the gospel of John. And it goes basically like this. John is going to tell us that there were events. Everybody say events. Okay, there were events that, that he saw. And, and here's the thing. He's going to tell us that they weren't just random events, but they were signs. Everybody say signs. There were signs that pointed to something. And because of the evidence and because of what he saw and what he heard, there, there were these, there was evidence. Everybody say evidence. 
And all of these things, it pointed to him being able to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And when he says that I began to believe who Jesus was, who he claimed to be, based upon the evidence and based upon the signs and based upon the events, he said, then I placed my trust in him. Oh, it's so much more. It's so much more than we've made it. And here's what he's, he's trying to make sure that we understand that's important. John doesn't begin with, I placed my trust in Jesus, and then I hoped it would all just work out. Because when you read all of the gospel accounts, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find out that these are normal people who may start out believing, but later on they don't believe anymore. You guys know what I'm talking about? They, and then they go back to believing again, and then all of a sudden they start to doubt, and they're not so sure. When Jesus starts making these statements like, eat my flesh and drink my blood, there are many disciples that left at that moment. They're normal people like you and like me. They're, they're, they're just normal. They weren't easy to convince. They didn't believe in just superstition. They were trying to sort this thing out just like all of us have to sort this thing out. It wasn't faith that moved them. It wasn't faith that convinced them. It was what they saw. It was what they heard. And so here is what John's thinking. If this is good enough for me, I'm hoping that it's going to be good enough for you. That's why I'm writing it. That's why I'm leaving it for the this generation, he's talking to a certain generation at a certain time. But how I many know this is passed on and passed on and passed on because it's so important. So let's get to it. In the Gospel of John, you need to understand that he's not just giving us these random events because there were a ton of them that he chose from to include in this document. And he wasn't just giving random conversation because he says Jesus spoke so much more than what I included in this. He says, I chose these things, and he does this, and he calls what he includes in there with one word. He calls them signs. Signs, signs, everywhere, signs. He calls them signs, and there's actually seven signs that he includes in his gospel. And he organizes the whole thing around these seven signs. Now, we're going to look at all seven in this series, but today we're just going to look at the first one. And there's something interesting I want you to, to, to really notice. It's very interesting that, that John, and I want you to understand this, John chooses to use the word sign and not miracle. Think about that for just a second. Why? Why does he use because these are miracles, and in many of us, when we tell somebody these stories, we don't call them signs. We misquote John, and we call them miracles. We know about the miracles of Jesus, but, but John, was, he was very uh, particular about the words that he chose, and he says... That these weren't miracles, these were signs. It's important to understand that these supernatural acts of Jesus, these supernatural, supernatural events of Jesus, these healings, these walking on water, all of those things, these supernatural acts of Jesus aren't just some random acts. He wasn't just showing off one day, right? These are specific signs. And John realized that they were signs, and he realized why they were signs. They were, he chose to use the word signs because each sign would be the evidence of Jesus' identity. 
Each was a sign that would point to the people that were following Jesus to his true identity. That's why they're called signs. And this is going to blow you away today, why he chose to use the first one and talk about this, this first signs. You see, it's easy for us to get enamored with the miracles, right? Wow, this awesome miracle, and tell our friends about the miracles. But John knew that it's a mistake. That's not what the purpose was in the gospel. He makes it clear. He says, hey, these miracles aren't daily occurrences just for the sake of daily occurrences. These miracles have specific purpose, and their purpose is to point people to the identity of Jesus. So he does his best in the gospel to help us not become enamored with the miraculous, but listen to this, but to become enamored with the person that was performing the miraculous and that the miraculous pointed to. So let's just jump in, right? Number one, this is the first one. It's something that uh, most people, if you're here today, you've already known this story. Everybody that's watching, you've heard this story. And it's an interesting thing. The first sign was so well known because understand, John didn't write this or dictate this to somebody to write it down immediately after these things happened. He had lived a long life, and now he's going back, and he's telling somebody about how he walked with Christ, and this story had been passed down so much in that amount of time that when he is he's telling this story, he doesn't even tell us that really a miracle happened or when the miracle happened. And the reason is, is because everybody who would have heard this story, these, these Jewish people, they would have go, oh yeah, I remember the one about they already knew the punchline to what he was talking about. So the first sign is the only one that rhymes. The first sign is turning water into wine. Water into wine. And we're going to look at what John tells us in chapter 2, verse 1. This is what John tells us. On the third day, he says, a wedding took place in Cana and Galilee. So that's way, 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 way up north of Jerusalem. Okay, he tells us where it happens, and it's a wedding, and he tells us this, that Jesus' mom was there. So Mary, she's there. Uh, he, he gives us details about this to let us know that this isn't a fairy tale, that this is something that he actually was there, he saw, it actually occurred. Now, what we find later on in this account, that Mary, somehow, some way, she was either hosting the, the, the wedding, or, you know, she was maybe perhaps the, the head of the group that did the catering for the wedding, but we don't know exactly which one it was, but the story continues, and John tells us, and Jesus and his disciples, they had also been invited to the wedding, so it's important he, he lets us know that the disciples were there too. He's like, I was there. I, I was invited along with Jesus, and, and we were there too. Now listen, back in those days, wedding celebrations didn't just last a day. They, they lasted, they were a celebration that lasted several, several days of celebrating, of eating, and drinking. And so what happens in this story, you're going to find out, is a huge catastrophe. He continues, and he tells us, when the wine was gone... Jesus's mother said to him, so Mary looks at Jesus, and she says, oh, they got no more wine. 
Like, we, we, we've got a big problem. They've run out of wine. It would be like if you, you know, I'm a, I'm a father of, of four children. I have three daughters. And it would be like Lisa and I put in on a wedding for our oldest daughter, Caitlin. And they come to us when it's, it's time for her to have the cake. And they're like, man, uh, either somebody completely forgot there's no cake. Or they've already eaten all the cake, and there's lots of people that came expecting to eat some cake and to drink uh, some punch, and, and all of a sudden there's no more left. What are we going to do? It, it would kind of be in a very embarrassing situation, a very embarrassing moment. What happens next is the part where we all have some questions and maybe don't have a lot of answers because she turns to Jesus, okay, and she knows somehow, I don't know how, but she knows in this crisis that she could look at her son and he was somehow going to be very resourceful and could make something happen. It, it, it's like she knew that he could take care of this. And, and that it makes me kind of think, what was it like to have raised Jesus? <laughs> right? You run out of flour. Everybody else is going to the grocery store. She don't want to go to the grocery store. She's like, Jesus! Right? Come on in here. She's like, Mama just ran out of flour. I need to cook. Listen, I'm just going to turn around. I don't even know how you do this. I'm just going to, you just go ahead, do what you do. <laughs> Fill up the sack with flour. I, it happens every time. I don't know how you do this. Oh, look, you just did it again. Jesus. Like that, right? I, I don't know how she knew, but she knew that she could turn to her resourceful son. And she looks at him and she's like, hey, They've ran out of wine, right? It, we got a problem. And, and listen, Jesus' response to his mama is a little offensive. Look at it. He says, woman. <laughs> now, now, my advice to all the husbands at home, don't try this at home. And be like, well, I'm just quoting Jesus. I'm just, don't get on me. Just, woman, you know, she asks you to do something. Woman. Now, we get the word right, okay, but something's lost a little bit in translation. What, what this really would, needs to be translated as, as, it was like he was trying to, and he was in a, a, a group of people, and it was a very formal environment, and he didn't want to say mom to his mom. He, and, you know, he, so he, it would be almost like saying m'lady. So, so he looks at his mom, and he's like, don't, don't just realize, woman, you know, what you trying? No, that's not how Jesus was. He, he, he would really be like, my lady, uh, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. He's like saying, like, I came to save the world, not weddings, right? Like, what, what are you trying to do right now? I, you know, not everybody knows I can fill up the flower bag with my little tricks and stuff. Like, you don't need to be putting me out there right now. There's a certain time when I'm going to make it known. You know that I'm the Messiah, but not everybody knows this. There's a certain specific way that this is, is supposed to happen. You know, and, 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 and she, she asks him, and this, this kind of reminds me of years ago when we were, we were living in Spur, and my, my daughter, who is now a senior in high school, she was in eighth grade, and I remember my wife, she went to the eighth grade, they had a, a, a class, um, they, they just, everybody gathered together for a meeting, what we're going to do this year in the eighth grade class, and, and I couldn't go, and I remember my wife comes home, 
And she's like, I said, how's it go? And she's like, oh, honey, um, it, it was really great. And our, our big thing this year that we're doing as a class is there's a parade and we have to make a float. And they were talking about it needs to be great because the, the class with the best float gets this prize and you get money for the first place. And, and she said, and I knew that everybody else there wouldn't be able to do as good as you could do it. So I went ahead and volunteered you to be in charge of designing the float and building the float. And I said, woman. No, I said, my lady. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, but you, you miss, you misspoke. You misrepresented me. I'm, there's no way I can take, I have so much on my plate right now, there's no way that I can do that. You're just going to have to tell them no. And she was like, oh, you know, honey, but pretty please, you know, pretty please. Like, I love you, and I know that you, you're so artistic, and you're going to do such a great. And I was like, I absolutely can't do this, but I ended up, who designed the float? Who built the float? I ended up doing it. Why? Why? It's because of who asked me, right? And so, you know, mom, my lady, asked Jesus, and, and what's kind of crazy is he says, my hour, like, why did you involve me in this? My hour has not yet come. She doesn't respond to that. She actually pretends like she didn't even hear it, and she just smiles looks at the other people that are there and says, do whatever he tells you to do. And then she just walks off and just leaves Jesus in this moment. Now, when you think about the sign, everybody say the sign. The sign's about to happen. The sign that he told us about. He referred to this as a sign. When you think about this sign that Jesus is about to do, it seems very random. In fact, as a kid growing up in a very religious church, it very much bothered me that he chose as his first sign, or I just referred to it as a miracle, as turning water into wine, because we were very against alcoholic beverages when I was a kid. This, it, it, was, it was like random. Why did he choose to do this? Why did John, all the signs, he said there was lots of things that were going on. Why did he choose this one to start with? Why was this one so significant? Because to me, it always seemed like a throw-off. Like, oh, yeah, you turn the water in the wine, whatever. Okay, but the next one, that's when it was really cool. But there's a purpose, and there was a plan of why John included it. And it, when you really start to understand it, it's going to blow your mind. Going along with everything that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks. I mean, I don't know if it... If, if, if John, when it happened, when he saw it happen, I don't know if he really figured it all out. Um, I know that the people that were there definitely didn't figure it out because they never knew that a miracle happened. They never knew that they were out of wine. They just kept drinking wine. And when this wine came, it was just really, really good. They, they didn't know that Jesus did what he did, Right? So I don't, know, I don't know if later on when somebody said, you need to document your account, your relationship, what you heard and what you saw with Jesus, I don't know if in his, his old age he started to think about this story, then he went, oh, yeah, that's what he was doing. But it is important that you understand that for future readers, this miracle, this sign was the 
perfect introduction to the message and the ministry of Jesus. And John continues in the story, and it's going to make sense. He says this. This is what John saw. He said, nearby stood six stone water jars. Now, he doesn't just tell us that they were six stone water jars. For some reason, he goes into detail about these jars. He says, the kind used by the Jews, and he could have just stood there, but then he said, not just that, it was the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So this was a Jewish family that was putting on this celebration, this, this wedding. And they were very wealthy. They were good Jewish men and women. And you need to understand that according to the Jewish law, and according to the first century application of the Jewish law, it demanded that Jews do certain things at certain times. One of those things was ceremonial washings that they would do in these different 30 and 20 gallon stone water jars. They would have to do these things because if they didn't, they were declared ceremonially unclean. And so according to the law, you had to, in that covenant, you had to wash your hands. There were all types of different washings. At some times, you just had to wash your hands. At other times, you had to wash your hands all the way up to your elbows. There were certain ceremonial things that you had to do to stay clean. You had to do these things. You can imagine then, these are very large stones because people are going to be coming into the celebration. And, and these stones, they're just sitting there, he says, and they're, they're empty. I want you to pay attention to the significance significance of this sign because these are described in an eloquent way and he wants the reader to know that they are there that these are icon that these huge stones jars are icons of the covenant and the traditions that Jesus has now come to replace Think about that. Each person would have had to do a ceremonial washing from these huge stone jars. Why? It was according to the law that came from the covenant that they were currently in. And what was the covenant that they were currently in when this happened? It was the old covenant. It was the covenant that God made through Moses at Mount Sinai. This was the, the, the old covenant that Jesus has come to replace. That's why the first sign, guys, was so brilliant. Are you starting to pick up what I'm laying down this morning? Jesus decides to go public. And I don't know if he decided to do it in the moment. I don't know if it was prearranged. But Jesus decides to go public by using something that would soon be replaced. These things would not be used anymore, you understand, after Jesus has ushered in the, the new covenant to point to what would now be in place. That's God's temporary covenant that was starting to fade away with the nation of Israel. It was coming, it was coming to a point of disappearing. That's why Jesus comes on the scene. And these jars represent the entire old covenant system. And Jesus decides to use this moment to illustrate through a what? A sign. Everybody say sign. This is significant. God's temporary arrangement was disappearing and something new had come because someone new was on the scene. Oh, this is so good. And the story continues. John tells us, Jesus said to the servants, okay, fill the jars with water. 
And so they filled them to the brim. I love what F.F. Bruce says. He's a British theologian. He wrote many commentaries, and in one of his commentaries, he said this, of this incident that we're talking about. I'll put it up on the screen. He said, the water. So he's talking about the water that they poured into these empty vessels. The water provided for purification as laid down by the Jewish law and custom stands for the whole ancient order of Jewish ceremony, which Christ was to replace, come on somebody, with something better. So this was all foreshadowing. That's why it's called a sign and not a miracle. John, he saw this. He saw this happen. A light bulb goes off and he's like, this is how I have to start my document. This is how this all needs to go down. It was foreshadowing. It was a perfect introduction to Jesus's ministry. Jesus is saying, fill up these empty jars, fill them with water as they were normally used. As everybody known, this is how they were used. But something about is about to happen that's never happened before. The old is passing away because behold, something new, someone new has come. And John tells us, then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. He doesn't even tell us that a miracle happened. He just said they drew some, some water out. And, and then it says, and they did so, and the master of the banquet then tasted the water. Now, if you had never heard this story before, and this is the first time that you're reading his gospel, you're thinking, oh, no, he's going to drink water when he's expecting wine. But again, John never even tells us the miracle took place because up until this point, this story has been passed down, passed down. Most people that are reading this understand. They're like, oh, I know what happened. I knew what happened when it got to him. When he tasted it, the water had been turned to wine. And John is like, do I really need to put this in? I, I guess I should because it's significant. It's a significant sign. And, and so here's what he says. And he says, and they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water and he says it had been turned into wine he did not realize where it had come from he didn't know that a miracle had happened the 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 head waiter the master he didn't know but he said every he said the servants who had drawn the water they knew they knew that they poured water in and all of a sudden Jesus had turned it into wine. Then he called the bridegroom aside. So he calls this guy to the side, the head waiter does. And he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have all had too much to drink, right? Because, you know, by at the time everybody's been drinking for a couple of days and they're drunk, they don't care what it tastes like. Just give me another drink, Jack. That's, that's what he's saying. But you, he says, you, that's not how you've done it. You have saved the best until now. That's so powerful. Highlight that in your Bible. Because John is making a point. He's making a point to the first reader that would read his document. Because that's exactly what God had done. Because the sacrificial system, that old covenant system, that law, had set the stage. It was temporary. It had set the stage for what was coming. Just as the original wine had set 
the table for the better wine. That was to come later in the wedding feast in the same way God, listen to this, through the nation of Israel, his people established a covenant that would set up the world to expect one to come after and fulfill that covenant so that when on the scene comes this guy named John the Baptist, y'all remember him? He gets on the banks of the Jordan River and the people that are gathered from Judea and from Jerusalem that day, thousands of people potentially, he says to them, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. That context makes sense to them because they have been looking for a Messiah. They've been looking for the Lamb of God. And John stands up and says, it is here. He is here. God is saved. Come on, somebody. The best for last. This was the original wine that set up the coming of the new and the better wine. And Jesus uses this as a metaphor in his first sign. He creates an illustration right there at the wedding that they were invited to in Cana of Galilee to say to the world, even though maybe the world at the time didn't understand, but they would, he was saying something new has come. Something better has come. Please understand what I'm trying to say. This was more than a miracle. It was a sign. It was a sign of the identity of Jesus. And John was there. And he saw it happen. With his own eyes. So the very outset, John, in his gospel, he establishes this paradigm where we're going to find out all the way through because never once is anybody asked to believe without there being evidence. That's a good place to say amen. Nobody's ever asked to believe without there being confidence in the person who's bringing the information. So he continues in his story and he says, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers. And I don't know if you knew this, but after Jesus, Mary had many other children. So Jesus' brothers were there, and, and the, he says, and the disciples, and they stayed there a few days, and, and so it begins. So the signs begin and continue to come to point to the identity of who the true Messiah is. Now, here's the thing, because I know if you're tracking along, you may have some questions. We all, we all do, but here's the point. Unlike John... Unlike Peter, but let's just stick with John. Unlike John, our faith in Jesus most of the time doesn't come by seeing because we weren't there to see these things happen, right? Most of the time it doesn't come by seeing. And I know you say, well, Pastor Kevin, you got it all wrong because, you know, I was on my way and I was, I was living a certain way. And then, then, I, then I saw this man of God, you know, this, this husband and this wife, and they had so much strong faith. And, and because of what I saw... I had a conversation with them, and it changed everything, and then I believed. Well, that's great. I'm glad that that happened for you, but for most people, it doesn't happen that way. For most people, you know how it happens? We're glad that you're here today, and we just want you to just believe, brother. Just believe. Okay, well, explain this to me. No, 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 no. How dare you? You're saying that you don't have faith? How, how do, you just need to have more faith, sister. And that's where it happened for a lot of people in church. Just believe. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes people do come to faith by what they see. But for most people, we don't come to faith by seeing like 
like John saw, but we come to faith by hearing. By hearing. We're not just asked to just believe, just to take it by faith. This is what makes Christianity so significant and so different. We're invited to believe what happened. We're invited to believe what happened based upon the testimony of people who were actually there. John was there. And he made sure to write this down for generation after generation to come. Guys, we can believe based upon the testimony of somebody who was actually there, somebody like the Apostle John. In fact, John came away from this experience with Jesus looking back even though there, there, was, there was lots of bloodshed in his lifetime and, and heartache. Perhaps the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed by this time and, and tens of thousands of Jews had been killed and, and even sold into slavery by the Roman slave markets. We don't know exactly when he dictated this or wrote this, but we know that the Apostle Peter is gone. We know that the Apostle Paul is dead. Again, it was probably in his, his last years of life he's the last apostle left and in spite of all that please hear what i'm about to say because of what he saw not because of what he believed and because of what he had heard not simply because he had faith he arrives at a conclusion that is echoed for generations and generations because he's the one that brought these famous words he says because of what I've seen and, and, and what I've heard. I'm convinced that God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. Because I saw it. I saw him come. I saw, I saw him manifest through signs. And prove to me. I doubted at time, but sign after sign after sign. I realized that God did so love the world. And he did give his one and only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. But John, how, how can you say such a thing? He would say, because I was there. Because I saw, he would say today, and seeing is believing. John was convinced of this. And whether you're convinced of this, there should be some things settling inside of you right now. Some doubts and, and some things that you heard that were contrary to what you were taught when you were just taught to only believe. And then you went to college or then you read a book and some things. And, and, I, and you've decided not to believe anymore. There should be some things settling in after I've taken you on this journey of the first sign. Because John wrote this. He was convinced that the word, the logos, he was convinced. And he said this, the word became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. Now, when we read that, he's not talking about us. He's talking about the us that were there when he saw it happen. He said, I was there. It, it really happened. He, he made his, the, the word became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. God made, made his dwelling among us. And we have seen I saw this with my own eyes, his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, and when the Father sent him, he says he was full of what? Grace and truth. 
And so John is just saying, guys, I was a simple fisherman. I wasn't this great theologian. I was just like you. And, and I was the normal person. And what happened was so important. I felt like I had to document my experience for future generations. Not so simply that you would know what happened. Because remember his thesis statement? He says, these things I've so chosen to document. These things. I'll put it up on the screen for you. He says, these things were written. Oh, now this makes sense. So that you may believe. Believe what? That Jesus is the Messiah. I documented all this. That you can believe that he's the son of God. And once you believe that you, he says, like me, may have life in his name. Wow, I'm going to ask the musicians to come. See, before this series is over, we're going to go through all seven, not miracles, what are they called? All seven signs. And there's going to be so much fun. There's going to be so much narrative and great conversation we're going to have. You're going to see some things that you've never seen before, some stories, and that you're going to see them in a new way. My prayer before this series is over, as we move from sign to sign, my hope is that you would believe, and that you would believe that you have life, come on somebody, in his name. And my prayer is it's... It's not because you just took it by faith, sister. Or you just believe, brother. It's because you took it from an eyewitness, the Apostle John, who saw the life and ministry of Jesus. You have not been required. You have not even been invited to just believe today, guys. It's so much more than that. You have not been called to follow Jesus because of faith. It's way, way, way more deep than that and awesome than that. And if you were talked out of your faith because you were never talked into it, then I invite you to not miss part two of See and Believe in next week. Let's pray. Father, you amaze me. Your word is, is amazing. And I thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts. I thank you, God, that we are here today and, and maybe some of us weren't ever talked into it. And so we have doubts and we're on the edge of being talked out of it. But I thank you that you sent a messenger like me to be able to declare that it's so much more than faith. That we actually have evidence there's evidence, there's evidence, there's evidence. We actually can have confidence in the person that told us this information and that because of that, just like John's prayer, his thesis statement, we can believe and have life in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that this morning. We just declare that we will continue to, to live our lives out loud for you. And we declare this this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen.